You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, it's John Spiracevet and Rebecca Rosenthal. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, John. Good to be back. Yeah, good to see you. Oh, this is such a great episode we're going to talk about. And you, I, I, you lo- were... I love this episode. This is my favorite episode. I've been waiting for this one. That is great. Well, that means we should probably just jump in. Why don't you give us the summary and let's go. Sure. So chapter 36, Janet's. Josh Siegel, Dylan Morgan, and Morgan Sackett. Janet brings the four humans in her void to save them from the demons, but the only way they can exist there is to take on Janet's form. Michael and Janet visit the head accountant to get some answers about Doug Forsett's point total and learn that no one has gotten into the good place in more than 500 years. In the void, Eleanor wants to talk to Chidi about their relationship in the reboots, but Chidi changes the subject to a philosophical discussion of the nature of self. Eleanor starts to lose herself into images of different people, and the void itself begins to disintegrate. But Chidi brings her back by telling her things to remember about herself and things he admires about her, and then ultimately kissing her. The humans come out of the void into accounting, and an alert is sounded because they are interdimensional fugitives. But Michael smushes cake in the onto the floor of the head accountant so they can make a break for it and sends everyone through a mail tube. When they tumble out at the other end, Holy mother forking shirt balls. They are in the actual good place. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So you want to say generally why this is your favorite episode? Well, one of the reasons is really because Darcy Carden is such an amazing actress. And just the whole concept of Janet as, you know, Eleanor Janet and Chidi Janet (laughs) and all the different personas that she has to take on. And then you get fake Jason Janet, who's actually Eleanor (laughs) Janet and the layers. But also like, this is the moment, I think, that the show changes again, that you get that one big moment at the end of season one, where they realize that they're not in the good place. And you get this moment where they actually make it to the good place. They get proof, I guess, of what they've known all along, that the point totals are bad and that someone is messing with the system. And then they actually make it into the actual good place. And I love that Eleanor's like, you know, Michael, you've lied to us a lot. (laughs) Um, But then she realizes because she can't say actual curse words that they're in the good place. And it's just like, so you and I have talked about episodes where like not that much happens. This is the opposite of that. Everything happens. <laughs> so much happens in this episode. <laughs> that is so true. And I lo- what you just said actually about the end there is to me almost like the least interesting part of the episode. To me, the void stuff is so awesome. And it's why I just love season three. I think I anticipatorily, oh, what a terrible word, said <laughs> a number of episodes ago that I was looking forward to season three because it is my favorite. And uh, like every other episode seems like it's the turning point. And if you haven't, as a listener, you out there, meaning I'm sure, Rebecca, you probably have listened to the NBC podcast interview with Darcy Carden. And I think a couple of these other folks are there too, in which they talk about how they did this episode, not just as an as an actor, but technically it is just breathtaking and a blast. I can't say I fully internalize every podcast episode that I've ever listened to, but I I do actually remember how intense that was. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she was nominated for an Emmy for this 
episode. I did learn a couple of things on that podcast, which is one that they got NBC, I think, to sort of rejigger their schedule so that this would go on. I think at a time when it would really be like featured so that she would be featured and it was such a good episode, they didn't want it swallowed by like, for instance, they were originally it was going to run maybe at a different time. And I think there were going to be other like reruns of NBC shows, but they got their kind of a lineup together and and also so that this could be part of her nomination. And uh, Darcy Carden told funny stories about, I guess what they did is they originally both read it and they kind of rehearsed it with all the other cast playing their parts so that she could practice with other people because the rest of it was being like recorded in these little six second blocks where she would have to record something while looking at a, like a mop with a... (laughs) with a ball on it or something. And then they had to edit that all together. And oh, it's really it's really worth a listen. Uh-oh. Yeah. And now she's in the new A League of Their Own TV reboot, which I haven't watched, but I plan to because I like that movie too. And I like her. But, you know, I just think the show has so well developed the main characters that even as Janet, you're and she's such an amazing actress, that even as Janet, you're able to tell who is who without without too much trouble, even before they put on different outfits, you're you're able to tell who is who without too much of a challenge because they all have such distinct personalities and, and they have such distinct identities as, as characters. And so actually like, that's one of the things that's super interesting about this episode is just, they all look like Janet, but they're all essentially themselves. And she does it a lot with faces and just like, she doesn't imitate them although she does sort of impressions of how they speak. Like, I think you first get it when it took, it took me, even though I knew it was coming, like watching Nahani Janet say, you know, I'm whatever it is, good gosh, I'm wearing a vest, you know, it's just a little bit of an accent. And then it goes. And then, you know, knowing what was coming when when it's Eleanor <laughs> Janet pretending to be Jason <laughs> Janet and, and just the face, like lying on the couch with the facial expressions while Chidi's explaining some philosophical point, you could just see, ah. Oh, Brilliant, brilliant. There were a number of things I wrote down just in terms of like pure fun when they go off, when Jason goes off on this whole thing about, because they're all white, you know, which, which they are, and, he's, and he does his impression of white, of white people. Billy Joel, Etsy, I think, parking space and change the Brita filter. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was great. An excellent description of white people. I guess so. And the other thing I wrote down, this is like way too, I'm sorry, I've been obviously clearly too too Talmudically watching the show, is there was the point where Janet was yelling something, and I wrote down in my notes, Janet yelling, and then I wrote in parentheses, Janet Yellen, which is like the, <laughs> the cabinet official. That's probably, that's a little bridge too far. Sorry, but I have to... I'll I'll lose points and leave that in there. Boy, it was really great the way they juxtaposed the accounting department with the void because it's like, you know, these two opposite things. And also the point system and self-authenticity and then the the pure white with this crazy place, which has, by the way, these like ancient teletype graphics and like 1990s IBM style. I know, that was amazing. Well, and, (laughs) And also just like neutral Janet, which is also fantastic. And... It's it's interesting though to think about Janet, not a girl, not a person, right? <laughs> All of that. And so the Janet takes on so much of the identity of the place around them. And you would think actually that neutral Janet was sort of mean Janet, and then all the other Janets sort of adapt to their surroundings, but it seems like our Janet is kind of the main Janet. And then there's bad Janet and neutral Janet, right? She's not good Janet. She's just <laughs> Janet. And then there's other Janets that you know, have other identities that in some ways she's sort of the prototype 
Janet. And then you have neutral Janet and and bad Janet and other Janets later on. <laughs> and her comment about neutral Janet, that she's the, the black sheep, and she said the blank sheep. And I thought the line was going to be, oh, I've learned how to make puns. But instead she says, oh, I can throw shade now. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, boy, so where do you want to enter into this? I, I should say again, and I, I said this in a previous episode, that this is one where I'm feeling like my complete both inability to, to kind of rise to the occasion intellectually to what's going on here. And but also where I'm like, really glad that I think we set the bar at, we're going to introduce some things that Judaism has to say that sort of touch on the same themes. It's not like, we're going to tell you thoughts out there that you've never heard before. And in this case, I think the show is just such a, an artistic representation that's brilliant of ideas that, that we've probably thought about. I know I have, but I just haven't seen kind of dramatized in this light. So we'll do our best to link up some some more probing things, Jewish uh, particularly, but we'll probably be a little surveyish because there's so many light bulbs going off in both of our minds about this one. Well, one of the things I thought was so interesting about this episode for me is like, the philosophy is almost secondary to everything else that's going on. Like I found myself not paying that much attention to Chidi Janet when he was talking about the different philosophical conceptions of the self, because that turned out to basically be a distraction from the main plot of the episode. So I just thought that was kind of interesting, right? That they always kind of go back to this moment where they're learning philosophy classroom style when, right, when things go wrong, you it's like, let's go back to the classroom and learn some philosophy. But actually what ends up moving them forward is, and this is what I always come back to, is the relationship between Chidi and Eleanor, right? Their relationship is really at the center of the show. And actually the way that they get out of the void and start to resolve and move forward is because Chidi figures out a way to talk to Eleanor person to person without massive philosophical conceptions of, of your identity. And I think there's a little bit I don't know if it's overt or covert here of saying like, you can't just learn. It's the classic rabbinic thing. Study is greater because it leads to action. You have to actually do something. Chidi needed to do something in order to get Eleanor to stop decomposing. And it wasn't going to be teach her philosophy in front of a classroom. Yeah, I agree with you. But I, the way I meant that was more the, the first episode you and I did was number four, which is Jason Mendoza, where we learned that Jian Yu is not Jason. And we talked about all these things about kind of who you are versus who you appear to be. And in that sense, I think that the turning point where the acceleration even accelerates more in this episode is where Eleanor says, basically, I don't know who I am anymore. And then she begins to break apart and everything does. So we kind of had that issue named like, what is a self? Because Chidi's like that, that guy who fell in love with you is not me. And it's true that that philosophical, like, that's not quite to the point. But the question of like, do I know who I am? You know, what is an I that even can say I am like that to me, maybe it's not so much philosophical, maybe it's more more of a spiritual and I just love that. And to me, like, I hadn't thought about this the first time. But you know, we've talked probably a number of times here about this teaching that a person who destroys a life, it's as if they have destroyed an entire universe. And this is what happens as she is about to be destroyed. The whole universe <laughs> appears to be about destroyed. And that kind of dramatization, first, she's turned into, you know, this series of other people who she thinks might be her. And that, and the whole thing starts to come apart. And then when, it, when he saves her, he essentially saves the universe. And I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. This idea that by focusing on one 
person, right? Chidi actually figures out how to save everyone. Hmm. That's interesting. And it, it was also in that line when I think what happens was Eleanor says, you know, in the two seconds while I'm trying to figure out who I am, you know, freaking out about who I am, the universe could come apart. How come, you know, you, Chidi, who is constantly freaking out about everything, why that doesn't destroy the universe? And Chidi says, freaking out about everything is my identity. <laughs> and, that's true. Freaking out about just, everything is his identity. Yeah. And I think that's true. And it really got me thinking about this question of like, what's the importance of the individuality of each of each individual? Yeah. I mean, I think thought about this as a, in a different way, rather than it being about questions about individuality so much as like, I, I started to think about the inside versus the outside. Right. And, and there's a text from the Talmud that says anyone who's inside doesn't master outside is not a student of Torah. Right. Which feels like a very Im important text for this, for this one where none of their insides are matching their outsides because their outsides are all Janet and this idea, right, that that to be a fully authentic self, at least in this conception, that you have to be authentic on both the inside and the outside. And they can't really do much about being Janet's, except that what we we see towards the end of the episode is that as soon as Eleanor figures out who she is, she becomes Eleanor on the inside and the outside. She can no longer live as Janet. She has to live. I mean, you know, that there, that's a whole other whether she's alive or not is a whole other discussion. <laughs> but, you know, she can no longer be Janet. She can only be Eleanor, right? This, I, I'm sure we've talked about this on this podcast, this idea, right, that you, that when you die and you go and up to heaven or wherever you go and God says, God doesn't say like, why can you be more like Moses or other great leaders? And God instead says like, why can you be more like yourself, right? More like Rebecca, more like John. And Eleanor I think is kind of living that out that in order to really progress in the world, in the world, in the void, in the, in the afterlife, she has to be Eleanor on the inside and the outside. Yeah. And in, in fact, that teaching is exactly the one you brought when we were talking about Jason Gianyu. And yes, it, I definitely remember that. Yeah, and that is so cool. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Well, this one, this episode obviously leads with their, with their inside. You were just talking about Eleanor. You know, can't be Janet. She has to be her. And there, there is that funny moment where Eleanor uses her Janet powers to try to work Chidi by like giving him a puppy, and then she says, "I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna depoof your puppy or something." When, when he, it doesn't, it doesn't work, right? She can't be Janet, which is, which is a nice little twist on that. I'm sorry, I probably took you off in a direction you were, you were heading from there. That's okay. You can take us off in whatever direction. No, no, no. I want to go back where you, where you were. What your train of thought was more on that inside outside. There's the other interesting piece. The four of them are inside of Janet's void, whatever that means. I don't know if they're inside Janet. I mean, they appear to be inside Janet, right? Because she starts to kind of like crack on the outside. And that's interesting too. Mm, that, yeah. And she gets a headache, right? And she, Because in fact, she's not only like living with her Janet, but she's living with this competing identity of four other people people who are in her who are in her void who are like trying to be janet's but they're not right they can conjure stuff but they're not exactly janet's and all of those pieces and so i would say when we think about inside matching your outside we don't always think that it means like you know your physical necessarily your physical appearance but here the the show at least seems to be saying like actually what you look like the person that you present to the world is actually really important mm -hmm. and it can be 
affected by what's going on inside of you, which we know, right? We sometimes we look tired, although people really love it when you say that to them, right? Or, or <laughs> like yourself, or or you are ill, and that appears on your outside as well as on your inside. Or when you're grieving, you know that can appear on the inside as well as on the outside. And so, th- this idea of how we present ourselves to the world and and do we have an obligation to like show everything that's on the inside and the outside? Maybe not. I don't think you want to go around that way. But at the same time, are we hiding too much of who we are on the inside and not letting it out? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. No, it's it's cool. And you started uh, saying something about, about neutral Janet. And because there is that parallel between there's, there's up there where there are these two Janets and they look alike, but, you know, they dress differently and they other external things are well they're in their internals are different and then there are all the people who are Janet who look like Janet down there and her initial uh, solution is to address them up differently it would have been really cool if they had done the episode without that and where we had to sort of figure out who was who was who with all in their in their typical Janet looking outfits and having only mannerisms and whatever that was an interesting an interesting choice you know the the other place in the Talmud where this discussion comes up is when they're looking for a new head of the of the baby drash because Rabban Gamliel the uh, the other head right had said like none of those people no no one whose inside doesn't match his outside can come in to the to the house of study to the baby drash and study and the new head of the baby drash comes and says which is Rabbi Elazar Ben Azaria and he kind of takes away that decree and then Rabban Gamliel is ashamed because he he worries that he has withheld learning from people because he's holding people to the standard of your inside matching or outside. And he's sort of unwilling to teach them unless that's, unless that's true. And I mean, there's a whole other interesting part about Elazar Benazaria. He's because he, he's very young when he gets appointed and his beard grows long and his hair goes gray so that he can, he can look the part, even though he's very, he's very young. So his inside matches his outside. But I think, you know, more importantly, this idea that if we hold everyone to this standard of perfect inside outside matching, as I'm talking, I now realize this is exactly what we talked about with Jason. But if we <laughs> hold everyone to this perfect inside outside matching, th- then they have no opportunity to make progress. And I think one of the things that we see on this show, right, is that Chidi, especially in all of his in all of his teaching, eventually realizes he's willing to teach anybody who wants to learn right he'll even teach eleanor he'll even teach jason right <laughs> like jason's insights and his outsides are very well matched but maybe yeah. not for philosophy <laughs> so you know he'll even teach jason and so it's just it's an interesting question because i think one of the messages of this episode is you your inside and your outside do need to match but then the secondary message is like but you can always learn as you're saying this, I'm making this connection between the Janet in the two locations, in the void and in the accounting department. And interesting, because as, as I was saying, Janet is the one being who has the, the same outside and sort of multiple insides, you know, at least in this episode. And then later on, of course, we've got, we're dealing with Disco Janet and all kinds of other Janets too. And so, you know, through their through their Janetness, Eleanor and Chidi come to something. And also really through Janet, Michael comes, She Janet's the one who presents Michael with this moment where she says exactly in a way what you're saying, which is that you've been looking outside for the solution to all our problems this whole time. Oh, you're-, you're she's, yeah. the, she's the Mordecai to Michael's Queen Esther, right? Yeah. She, oh, wonderful. <laughs> Queen Esther in the Purim story is like, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can save the people. And- 
And Mordecai is like, you know, perhaps you were born and made the queen for exactly this moment. And that's basically what Janet says to Michael, which is like, there's no one else. It's only you. You're the only person who can save us now. And then Michael actually does, right? He's inspired enough by the experience that he figures out a way to get them to the good place. And, you know, I think about for, for people of a certain generation, and maybe ours, you, you can't see Ted Danson, you can't see Michael without seeing Sam Malone from Cheers, and, and this guy who used to be young, and I, you know, you were talking about Rabbi Elazar Benazaria, who had to kind of like grow old in order to, to look the part. And uh, there's so many things going on, I think, with Ted Danson. And he is, you know, I mean, Janet looks a lot younger than him. Also, and is kind of coaching him. And also compared to uh, this head accountant guy, you know, he looks, I mean, uh, Michael looks a lot more like the guy who should be running the show and he's very tentative. And and then what I, what I really like about that moment is it's saying that like who you are, Michael, is not only, you know, sort of stop messing around with kind of trying to figure these things out, but stop, stop looking outside. You, who you are is going to be defined by the choice you make in this moment. And throughout this season, in, in a couple of points, Michael is saying, who I am is the person who's committed to this group of people, and then through you to, to helping out and, and, and fixing this thing. And Janet here kind of says that, and that's how Michael kind of becomes a little more Michael. And Janet, who has the capacity to sort of, I mean, she can't empathize because she doesn't have feelings, not a girl, but in some sense to have data about every possible person becomes sort of the vehicle through which, you know, it's through a transitional phase of being a Janet that Eleanor gets that. And I think, you know, to maybe what you're saying about it not being philosophy, but this relationship, that it's first Eleanor saying, like, the way we're going to figure out who we are here is to understand our relationship. And then at the end, for Chidi to step up and say, let me tell you who you are. And, you know, the last part is not sort of let me tell you who are, but let me tell you who we are by kissing you. But he starts with, you know, you're from Phoenix, your favorite meal is scampy sort of outside stuff. What is it? You listed Britney Spears as your emergency contact as a (laughs) chance way. That was amazing. But he quickly pivots away from like, that still is like the outside, that's not the inside. And then he goes up to you, you showed up in my classroom when I was full of canned chili and you saved my life. And and then he says, you have very high self-esteem, which I thought was a really interesting thing to say, you know, if that was like the, the that was the first hinge and then whatever, saved my life, high self-esteem. Blah. And, you know, it was interesting. I don't know if you were, when you're, when the people are sort of psyched through right as he starts talking about her saving his life and like things more about who she is as opposed to like you know her favorite food the janet eleanor starts coming back you start to see the janet eleanor reappear until finally the eleanor eleanor appears but there's something about the janet eleanor that's like the interim step like she gets all the other people i'm sure some of those other people are like famous people that i don't know (laughs) but you know she she gets all the other people and then there's the Janet Eleanor and then there's the Eleanor Eleanor, right? That, that that there's something about the Janet Eleanor, which is like almost too authentic Eleanor, but not quite there yet. Wow. I didn't notice that. And, and that's super interesting. I've been trying to track like a particular source that I think is in a way in, a, in Hasidic literature, of which I am not an expert. I think we have this one set of things about, as it's a person who saves one person, it's like they save the whole universe. And that sort of establishes in a general way the importance of individuals. But then our obligation to discover who we are becomes, I think, a really 
interesting thing in in Hasidic thought, from what I understand. And there was, I, I do have this quote kicking in my head from, I think he was known as the Yehudi or the Yid, which means Jew in, in Hebrew and Yiddish of, of, I think of Pajish, who is connected to this famous, Simcha Bunim, who has the famous teaching about the two pockets, but who said that basically everybody has a mitzvah. Everybody has one thing they have to discover that like uniquely they can do. We all have obligations that many of which are similar and overlapping, but the way you discover who you are so that you can, in his words, serve the divine is to figure out what your particular mitzvah is, what particularly you do, what are, what are you doing in the world, you specifically. And just the way you're saying that makes me think if you had the Janet level of it's not maybe knowledge, you know, you have to turn that into awareness. Janet, I think, has been developing a kind of awareness of of people. But certainly, you know, the data is there yeah, to sort of look at your life and say, what am I good at? What do I do? And I like to transport this Jim Collins thing from business with the three circles of what do I love? What am I good at? And what does the world need? And that's somewhere in there. That's who I, that's who I'm supposed to be. And so maybe in Judaism, it's not that you discover who you are, but you discover what do I do? what's my thing and I think the way the show has sort of improved on that is by saying it is in these relationships and not only teacher relationships that you discover that and the more you turn toward each other the more you will help each other figure out who you are yeah I think that's really important and also a pretty good message for the time of year that we're in and if people are listening to this podcast in the run-up to Rosh Hashanah are Elul work in this month is not just to think about what we did, right? It's actually to try to talk to people and make amends and do tshuva and try to be a better person. And you can't be a better person by yourself. You have to be a better person with other people. In that sense, it does a link a little bit to some of the philosophy that was on the blackboard, because they were talking about whether you have to have sort of a, I guess, a continued consciousness of yourself and your memories in order to know who you are. And Jason talks about that it can be possible to like, definitely have something happen to you, but not know everything about it, like getting the tattoo that says Jason. And I'm thinking that that's maybe part of what other people do is to help you reconstitute your sense of who you've been. I think that's what Eleanor is trying to do is like, she just like, I don't, I don't have access to that that experience of mine. So I don't think that counts. And Eleanor says, no, it does. Like, you were that guy, you know, with me, and I need you to. And I guess that so as much as he kind of brings her back to herself, she also seems to bring him to himself, too. I mean, he ha in order for him to make that speech, and that's what she says, like, did you did you say that because you meant it? Or were you just was that just a thing you had to do to fix the universe? And he proves that he that he did get it right. Ultimately, he's like, I'm going to believe you about me. I know that for me, like, I, I just, I don't know about you, every day I feel like I'm trying to remember about pandemic time, like, did something happen a year ago or two years ago? Was it, was it before I was thinking about Rosh Hashanah a year ago or two years ago? And I, I am befuddled. It's Jeremy Barmy time. Yeah, it's Jeremy Barmy. And I, and I am really relying on other people in my family and other people to, to help me put it together so I can figure myself out, I have to say. I mean, that's part of it for me. And remember, who was I actually during this time so I can try to get a grip on who I I want to be in the new year yeah this episode is an interesting contrast to a lot of what's happened in the good place so far that eleanor is like i have to improve myself i have to do this learning to improve myself but then we realize over the maybe it's not as much of a contrast but we realize over the course of the of the show that all four of them need each other in order to do self-improvement but that really gets 
driven home, as we said here with Chidi, who's like, I'm going to tell you who you are so that we don't all crumble in the void. And the episode would have been great entirely in the void. But I think the one thing that the accounting department does is to really draw out the difference between types of knowledge. And these machines that are spitting out these analyses of everybody and everything that they do are so ridiculous. And it requires you to have, what did they discover? In order to deal with the newest, the hollowed out eggplant, they need to consult with the stuffed vegetable department, the American coins department, and the weird the weird sex, sex things. Yeah, well, that just, that's just funny, you know, the weird. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. But I do think we talk about, in our terms, about cheshbon nefesh, and we do use actually the language of accounting of the self in this time of year, but, but we don't mean it like that. <laughs> That's a great making fun. And actually, in their whole thing about the Book of Dugs, too, it just is not the same. Reading that in a book, you know, in an accounting department is certainly not the same as someone in a moment when it really, when your life is on the line, accounting for who you are, which is, which is a great juxtaposition there. I teach a confirmation class, which is our 10th grade students with one of my colleagues and our grounding text. One of them is Pierre Cavo, know where you come from to know where you're going, right? And there's a big sign in this episode that says, you came from over there, or go back that way or whatever. I can't remember exactly what the sign says, but this episode is really the essence of that, which is the argument that Chidi is making is that sort of only the Chidi he remembers are himself. And the argument that Eleanor is making is no, all the cheaties from all the things, right? She remembers some of the other cheaties. She knows that he always wanted a dog like that. They figure out that Jason and Janet were married in another life. And maybe all of that is part of you. But that in order to take the next step and to really go into the good place and try to be there, you have to know where you came from. You have to figure out what your identity is that you want to take with you into the next step, which is also a great message for this time of year of like, where did I come from? What did I do? How was I good? How could I be better? Because without all that knowledge, you're just sort of starting from scratch and you're not taking in anything you may have learned along the way. And it's interesting that Chidi is the one who resists so much of his self-knowledge. Eleanor's like, no, I know all this stuff. You know all this stuff. It's great. And Chidi's like, no, only the stuff from this sort of like very linear thing that I remember is part of who I am. And I appreciate Eleanor's argument that it's sort of part of you, whether you remember it or not. That's so interesting, because how much of the time she is defensive. And when she gets information about herself, like when she learns about their relationship in an earlier episode, she doesn't want to know about it in certain ways. It throttles her sense of self. And she has to go through learning this lesson. And now she can teach it to to Chidi. And I love what you said about that. How, do you, Are you able to do this with your confirmation people, like teach them any sort of ways in which to do that? I mean, that's part of what overarches the whole year, which is how can you know your Jewish identity so that it will help you into your future as a Jewish adult. So you know, we look at traditional sources and we try to help them understand how Reform Judaism gets made and try to help them think through questions that are going on in their lives. We take them on trips and we create community among each other with the idea that if you can understand sort of your Jewish past and your Jewish history, we talk about their individual family histories, et cetera, then that will help you make decisions as you go on. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. What else do you want to... What else? I mean, there's just... Everyone should watch this episode. It's great. I am not a huge math person, but I did appreciate the accountant's like really strong belief and conviction in math and that it's cold and objective and airtight. And I think my son is 
uh, about to go to high school and he's doing all of this advanced math. And I think he would tell you it's none of those things. Maybe it's objective, but there are sometimes a lot of different ways to solve a problem. And you have to really think through a lot of different ideas and thoughts on your way there. And as we see in this episode, right, the math is not airtight or objective. And that even if, even if you get points and I get the same points for doing the same action, it's a different action because you did it and I did it. So it's not really that objective. And, you know, which becomes part of the discussion all the rest of the series. This I don't know if not- you have any feelings about math. Well, <laughs> feelings about math. <laughs> I would say the thing that I was more connected to even than math, just personally in the episode, was the computers because I was privileged to go to a school in the, I want to say, late 1970s, actually, that had computers before anything else. And they were definitely like teletypes and teletype looking graphics on screens. And so I love that throwbacky kind of stuff. And, you know, back when it did take when it required there to be many rooms, as opposed to the amount of I'm sure that accounting room could fit in any of our telephones in terms of the computing power necessary. I mean, kudos to the props department for finding all those. It is cool to loop back to things that we introduced as concepts way back at the start and to see how they've iterated and how much fun it is to revisit them and see how the show is is doing and see how the show is kind of uh, either up in the ante or sort of adding a, a layer to it. And I was thinking about something I said in the first podcast about how I couldn't watch The Good Place initially because it was like work for me. And now I've actually made it work. Like if I signed myself yeah, to do yeah. it on a schedule and I did extra work by listening to, you know, a podcast even before watching the show. And it's been great for me that dimension. It's a work that I look forward to. And I think it's I think it's also the laughter is helping me do the other work that I'm doing. So I'm not feeling it as a, it's definitely a thing I have to schedule, but it's not a, a work obligation at all. Well, I'm really glad I could grab this episode because I love it. It's just, oh, it's brilliant. It's total. it's just totally brilliant. Well, look ahead for more of your favorites, Rebecca. Great to talk to you and we'll do this again. And that's another episode of Tove. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast or learned something, we hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating and let other people know about this. Check out our show notes at tovegoodplace.com, where you can also find some other useful reference material and quick explanations and links to explore. Send us feedback or questions by email to tove at tovegoodplace.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at tovegoodplace. Rebecca Rosenthal is on Instagram at Rabbi Rebecca Bakes, and I'm John Spirisaved at RabbiJohn.net and social media at RabbiJS3, mostly Twitter. If you are listening when this is hot off the press, we want to wish everyone a Shana Tova Umetuka, a good and sweet new Jewish year. We hope our podcast contributes to your own process of teshuva. And if you find a way to use the show to help you begin the new year or celebrate Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, do let us know. And if you want our help in finding a community to connect to where you are or online for the Holy Days, drop a note. Most of all, thanks for listening. Now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.